Wednesday, June 15th. It's the 14th. I was getting ahead of myself by a day. I apologize. It's the 14th of June. Obviously, a huge congratulations to the fans of the Golden Knights of Las Vegas, who I got to tell you something. They just sort of throttled their way through the Stanley Cup finals, which are typically a gauntlet. But they proved to everybody that, you know what? A team built the right way doesn't need the superstar. Although I will tell you, Jack Eichel played like the number two pick in the draft. Dan is saying, my God, please stop. This is Market Call. Today's Market Call brought to you by FactSet. Financial data and analytics, Dan, powered by tomorrow. In a minute or so, we'll be joined by the great Carter Braxton Worth. I encourage you to stick around because he is sitting in a Willy Wonka-type chair with a fish behind him. And if, if I mean, for nothing else, stick around for that, Dan. How are you? I'm doing okay here, Guy. Um, you know, it seems like the market doesn't really want to wait for the Fed's um, dovish pause or whatever they're they're calling that's going to happen here. Um, they're just they're just up. It's up because it's open. Because right? it's open. Right? Yeah, there you go. Um, you know, Carter jumped on our, our little pre-call a couple minutes ago. He could hear you and I, our crosstalk, our little chit-chat about the sort of pain that we're in. Um, it gets a little old, right? Like it, it gets a little old talking about the thing that ails you on a, on a daily basis because I guess the thing is like, listen, you, you can sit here and listen to Guy and me on, on the tape on Market Call and Fast Money. You can say, listen, these guys have not changed their tune um, a whole heck of a lot over the last few weeks, um, last few months, that sort of thing. But when you see a market doing, a stock market doing what it's doing over the last kind of three weeks, a month or so, um, it's just really hard to change your tune here. You know, guy, you use that term dogmatic. Um, you know, it's important to be nuanced. It's important to kind of um, articulate how things are changing and why it might help change your view. But if you're not changing your view, it doesn't mean that you are being dogmatic. It just means like, you know, it's one thing that price is doing one thing. It's another thing trying to get your arms around right. um, all the inputs that go into it. You know, I, I mean, like, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I sound a bit frustrated. And I also seem, you know, like I'm short the things that are helping powering this thing i'm up i'm not short the SP. i'm not short the qqq i'm short a couple of the names that are, are doing a lot of the heavy lifting here but i don't know give it to me guy what do you well, got here's the frustration you know yeah. people will say uh, you know, it's it's un-american to be as negative as you guys are and okay oh. I, I can buy that or you've Have missed you the that? entire I thing recently I've, I've heard that before you, you know yeah. you've missed the entire move which i understand people saying that it's not entirely true but i listen i totally get it um, and people want to be optimistic and want to be bullish, which I completely understand. And for 99.5% of people, if stocks go higher, obviously they're going to do well because those are typically people that own stocks. So I understand all of that. My reluctance is, or my reluctance to sort of get on board is the only thing that's changed over the last, specifically since December, has been the prices of the market. But nothing's changed below the surface. As a matter of fact, you can make an argument that things have gotten worse. Now, people will say, wait a second, inflation's been cut in half in a year. Yes, that's true. But at what cost? And that's what I struggle with. Yes, inflation is coming down. But look at what it's look at what's happened below the surface to a lot of these companies along the way. And I still would submit we have not felt nearly the full force of 500 or so basis points of hikes. And so when I'm trying to be um, consistent and trying to be somewhat voice of reason is because I don't want people to get hurt in what I think is going to be the aftermath of something that's going to be pretty uh, pretty unpleasant, is my yeah. sense. Now, if oh. things just continue to go up, that's great, and I'll be the first to say we missed this one. But for the life of me, I can't understand um, how we're going to sort of navigate our through th through this thing.
Yeah, and I guess the thing is, like, I think we started the week talking about, like, there was a couple articles over the weekend about the recession that's never coming and, you know, this, that, or whatever. And, you know, ultimately, listen, a recession will come, right? Like, and, and that's not, like, and, and that doesn't mean that I'm sitting here waiting for something economically horrible to happen to kind of help make the case why I thought the S&P should go back to 3,600, okay, like, for the better part of this year. We had Julian Emanuel from Evercore ISI, ISI. He's their chief strategist on Fast Money. I think it was on Monday night. And, you know, he's been ratcheting up his S&P call. It's at 4450, 4500. We talked about it, I think, yesterday on Market Call. But he said when we get there, and he really does think that that lag effect is going to really weigh on the economy. We're going to have unemployment ticking up. And he thinks the S&P is going to go back to 3800 Okay. I, I mean, listen, I, I'm just the guy who's just going to stick to my guns and say that we will have a retest of 4,300 or some point in the S&P 500, probably in the not so distant future. So for me to get all turned around or me to be one of those pundits who talks out of both sides of my fucking mouth, I'm just not going to do that. And you know, you know how many of these folks do that? Call their asses out, okay? I'm just saying, like, like I don't mind sticking to my guns and, and using intelligent thought processes um, to help do it and being wrong. It sucks to be wrong as a pundit. It sucks to be wrong as a trader. I'm not wrong as an investor. I just kind of stayed the course on that stuff that we're trying to put the kids through college in or, or buy that second home or something. You know what I mean? Like, we're saving for retirement. You know, it's more of the stuff in the intermediate term, and that really hurts being wrong. But, you know, most people don't play like like short-term moves in the markets, that sort of thing, right? And so we've always been consistent. If you were investing for the intermediate or long-term, then you have to dollar-cost average. You have to deploy capital as things are good and as things are bad. That's just the nature of it. But uh, I'm wrong, uh, you know, on the intermediate term here, but I, I'm just going to stick to my guns, guy. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough, listen, it's a, it's been a tough game. We've had a lot of people that come on and this has been one of the, the I would say specifically the last six months or so have been some of the most confusing times uh, you know, that I've encountered in, in the time that I've been doing this in the, in the market. It's been very, it's been very confusing. I think it's confounding a lot of people, you know, people will get on Mike Wilson. People say, oh, but, you know, he's a dope. He's not, trust me when I tell you, he's not a dope, you know, and he's just extraordinarily thoughtful work. And to this point, the market hasn't played out the way he thinks it has, but it doesn't mean that his premise is wrong. We have a question uh, from Derek. What would turn you guys bullish? Just asking is a fair question. Melissa asked me that the other day. I mean, the only thing that's changed, in my opinion, has been price like things. Everything below the surface continues to sort of trend the wrong way. The market is masking a lot of the yields. I mean, you talk about commercial real estate. There's still so many write downs that need to take place. That's going to have an impact on the banking system, which is going to effectively have an impact on the consumer. The consumers looking at north of a trillion dollars in credit card debt. I mean, that is somewhat unsustainable. So although the market looks great. Everything below the surface suggests that things aren't not nearly as rosy. So to answer your question, what's going to turn me bullish is we get a flush in the market, um, sort of get a reset in the system, and then we can have an intelligent conversation. But when you're talking about stocks that have gone up 150 200% on nothing but multiple expansion, there are no fundamental reasons uh, for that. And people say, wait a second, NVIDIA and AI is going to be groundbreaking. Yeah, Maybe. Um, but so much of this move has been predicated. And if Dan, real quick, if you want to look at, you know, the poster child for that since May 3rd, and you said it last night to me, when AMD reported on May 3rd, the stock was $89. It traded down to 81 in a straight line. Uh, and it was probably headed lower until they announced a deal with Microsoft on May 4th about creating a chip to compete with NVIDIA and AI. And then all of a sudden it was sort of off to the races. Nothing's changed. 
other than that. Is that healthy? That is a 50% move in the course of a little over a month and a half. I mean, it doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense to me. And that's just anecdotal, but there are a lot of stories just like that. Yeah, and so let me let me just weigh in there too, Guy, because I think that's a really good point, and that's a great question. What would change your mind, okay? And so what we're here to do is we're not your hedge fund manager, we're not your stockbroker, your financial advisor, or anything like that, okay? What we're here to do is just kind of call it the way we see it a little bit, and we're going to be right and we're going to be wrong. And you talk about the best traders, um, you know, they're rarely right more than 60% of the time. The best traders change their minds all the time. We don't have the luxury of doing that. If we change our mind every day from a trading perspective on market call and on the tape, on fast money, um, on all that sort of stuff, you just, you, you, you have a freaking headache that, you know what I mean? Like it's just not, it's just not palatable, right? So we stop, try to stay consistent with our thesis here. How might I get more constructive on the stock market is if we were to actually go back to 4,200, start going to 4,000 or so and look like that there's a little fear back in the market, be down about 10 plus percent, have a VIX above 20, have a lot of people puking out of the stuff that they've been chasing, right? And, and then and then at that point, I would concede a couple things where I've been wrong about the economy is that the economy is able to kind of handle higher rates than we have been used to. We go back to 2018 when the Fed or uh, the Fed was raising interest rates, the 10-year yield got above 3%, the stock market sold off um, you know, 20%. The uh, Fed didn't about face within a few months here and it was back to off to the races. But then what happened? We had this black swan event, we had this pandemic. So I guess my point is, is like if the economy, which is gonna be expected to grow well below 2%, Okay, for the next few quarters or something like that, well below the 10 year average pre pandemic of 2.2%. And they're able to deal with higher interest rates, but also higher inflation, also lower unemployment than we have been used to, all that sort of thing. Then fine, buy the market when there's fear. But right now, there is nothing other than complacency. And there's also a lot of the ingredients that we felt in 2022 or 2021, excuse me, that were setting up for a really nasty market in 2022. They all exist here, but until there's some fear back in the market, I am not chasing anything. I think it's time we bring him in. We've diatribed enough. The great Carter Braxtonworth, I teased um, his backdrop and setting. Did I lie, Dan? Did I oh make goodness. it up? I mean, look at that. How very strange. <laughs> I, I, I'm marketing in Amsterdam, and uh, perchance the hotel room that I'm in has a very strange chair, and equally or more strange, whatever that is, a big fish painted on the wall. Yeah. In any event, um, I just... The housekeeping thing, you, when you said June 15th, I think uh, you were subliminally thinking of my birthday. I know it's your birthday. Tomorrow, and I will, I'm will. i getting very close to you, be uh, 57, you're probably 59. Um, and that makes me think, of course, that both of us were almost around when here in Amsterdam, the very first IPO of all time, 1602, <laughs> right? The Dutch East India Company. And the oldest stock exchange, uh, Amsterdam Stock Exchange, it all started here. First IPO, first public traded shares. And anyway, uh, kind of ironic. You, but, you uh, heard us talking about, you know, the, and I don't want to sort of bog down too much in this, but what would ch have us change our mind? You obviously look at the world through a different prism. That's obviously technicals and stuff, but you obviously follow this stuff as well. I don't know if you want to sort of take, you know, 30 seconds and speak to that. Sure. I mean, I think, as is always the case, and it's with individual positions or general overview or uh, longer term bets. I mean, we all have trades we have on, trades we have to cut, losers, ones that we double down on. 
uh, ones that we press even though they're winning. And then there are ones that are longer term. I mean, you know, there are such things called five to nine plans, you know, things that you have set aside for children's cut, those things you don't touch. So it's like not even worth talking about. But it's all about who you are in the market, what your time frame is. And then uh, and then you take your bets. There is uh, this is not tiddlywinks, right? It's uh, not annuities work. It's it's speculating unless you're just going to buy and hold. And then they have something for you. It's called the SPY. And don't ever talk about it again. You play golf or, you know, try to catch fish like the one in the back of the wall here. The point is, um, for the here and now kind of person, uh, if you think about it, there are really only three time frames. There's minor, intermediate, and major. Minor moves, eh, I don't really traffic in those, right? A couple days, a couple weeks. Major moves, I'm not so interested in that. I mean, okay, that's called SPY, just buy and hold it. But intermediate moves, sort of three to five, three to four, three to six months, that's really where alpha is generated if you're going to sit down at the great poker table that is the market. And yes, this has been a very impressive six-month move, um, which I have bet against. Now, here's the question. Each day you get to make new mistakes or make great wins. Here and now, the sequencing is increasingly steep, uncorrected, one-sided, and by all accounts, one if you're long and you've nailed this, you should be reducing because yeah. here's the opposite. How about you double it up, get even bigger? That's insane. Yeah. Hey, Carter, you had a great note um, and we're, we're not going to flash it up, but it, you guys should all be subscribing to Worth Charting. Um, it was a, a, an unfilled gaps. You updated it on the S&P mm -hmm. 500, um, but I'm just going to pull up uh, our chart on the on the SPX. And, and again, if you're looking at the SPY, as Carter was just uh, quoting, which is the ETF that tracks the SPX, I'm, I'm, I mean, you can look at this, okay? We broke out above that April high. It's steep. It's uncorrected. Look at that rising 150-day moving average. It happens to line up with that uptrend that's been in place from the October lows. 40-40. That's it, people. I mean, you, you want to start. If, if you miss this, you, we're likely to get some sort of, I think, check back in the not-so-distant future um, back towards that level. And that's where I would start dollar cost averaging, right, in, in the SPY. Does, does that make sense to you, Carter? Sure. And of course, the cynic or the person who wants to throw a call want to say, well, you're never going to get that. And you're going to be waiting and waiting with your nose pressed up against the glass, looking into the party. As this goes to 45, 46, 47. Okay, they can say that. And that's fine. You can't get them all. Um, there, are, there are always new opportunities. But what we know in terms of the sequence is this move from the March low, right, exactly three months, is steep, uncorrected, and far above trend, far above both the minor uptrend line in effect since the October low of last year, and also far above the moving average, in this case, 150. And so, uh, again, it's a little bit proof by contradiction, because if one's not trimming at all or reducing, all right, why don't you get some, sell some real estate and put it more in, double it, get bigger. And people say, oh, no, I don't want to do that. Why not? If it's so great and you love it so much, get bigger. But that's the thing. It, it, it's not right to get bigger. It's right to get smaller. We had Michael Schumacher on last night, Fast Money, and, and he actually had an extraordinarily, I thought, um, tactical call, especially for him, talking about fading the move today from 159 until about 226 or so, which coming out of his mouth really took me, um, took me a bit of a loss. But things are going to move. And you brought with you a host of charts with yields and treasuries that you want to take a look at because things have been moving, but I think your sense is things are going to really start to move. So 
why don't you walk us through the charts you brought, Carter? You bet. And, and before we even get to those, let's pull them up. Is um, Dan, you said about the gaps. There are five. Count them. Five unfilled gaps immediately below. Uh, that's what impetuous, impulsive trading looks like in any event. This is, of course, where the rubber hits the road. We get information in a matter of moments, of course, from the Federal Reserve. This is the ETF that effectively tracks the 10-year Treasury. Let's put in some lines. Now, look how precise those are. Let's put in some arrows. Point is, it's always this way. You get to big moments fundamental moments, but the charts tell you that something is going to happen and you got to make your call which way. Again, I remain in the lower uh, yields camp, but I must say that's why we wrote this in the port to clients. It's really a jump ball here. Let's do this a little bit longer term to put this in context. There's the same chart. Let's put in the lines. Let's put in the arrows. This is not random. The, 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 you're waiting. It, you can feel the tension. And a lot of people say, yeah, I'm really long TLT. A lot of people say I'm really short TLT. Again, uh, our hunch is that the rates basically have peaked and you want to be playing, you want to be buying uh, treasuries. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting, Carter. Um, I um, have been in the long TLT camp, um, and that means yields lower in, in, in the long end. And um, I, I, I see what you see on the charts. Um, and I also think... And Guy, I'd love to get your take just kind of more on the fundamental standpoint. You know, the Fed, let's just say it's a pause. Let's say the, the CME Fed fund tracker is pricing a 60% probability of a 25 basis point hike in July. But, you know, not going, let's say, meaningfully higher unless the data, the economic data gets much hotter, right? And if it doesn't get much hotter, then the 10 year is going to continue to move lower, which makes the TLT look that much more attractive, in my opinion, not just from a, from a fundamental standpoint, but the way you laid out the technicals. So, Guy, where are you on rates? Because we spent some time talking about Jamie Dimon a couple of weeks ago. And we've heard some other folks, uh, Larry Summers, a former Treasury Secretary. I mean, a lot of a lot of people are saying be prepared for higher rates, not mm -hmm. higher for longer at 5% Fed funds, but even potentially 6%, 7%. It seems like we haven't heard that in a couple of weeks, but what is that kind of, how does that play into how you're thinking about yields? I agree with them, but it's all, what they're talking about also is the sort of the front end of things. And yeah. if we could bring that chart up again real quick, that prior one, Here's, you know, Carter talks about exactly right. You know, you have this more narrow, it continues to narrow into this pennant formation. And at some point, something's got to give. And here's how I see it playing out. One would think that yields going lower here suggests that the Fed is going to say something extraordinarily dovish. I would look at it this way. You know, if they come out and be more hawkish than the market anticipates, you could potentially then see a sell-off in the broader market, which I think we've all collectively said think is going to happen. And then you would see a flight to quality in the form of the bond market, specifically the TLT, which makes the TLT go higher and makes yields go lower. But the front end, that two-year that has been sticky, I don't think it's necessarily going anywhere. And you can actually make an argument that it actually can continue to tick up. So what you're going to see and this is not me talking in a vacuum. This is something we've said for a while. That 210 yield, which went to 111 basis points inversion, back down to 40 is probably, as we're sitting here right now, either side of 85 or so basis points is probably going to continue to widen out. And that doesn't paint a particularly rosy picture. So to answer your question, I could see yields going lower, but for all the wrong reasons, Dan. Yeah. 
All right, let's talk tech, and we want to get to, you had a great note on worth charting again today on the QQQ, the NASDAQ 100, but first I want to do this. See if Stephen can pull up a like two or three day chart of NVIDIA, and I think NVIDIA is really interesting, so just made a new all-time high today, got back above $1 trillion. Carter, look at the day chart. You know, it had a big day yesterday, it opened down today, and then almost in a straight line. Again, this is a $1 trillion market cap company, rallied 4%, okay? And we know what that means. That means there are large institutional buyers still of this name saying, I need to get longer or I need to get up to wherever. When you see that sort of price action, then I also want to pull up Oracle really quickly. So Oracle gapped up in front of its earnings on Monday. Remember, there was a couple of upgrades uh, to a new all-time high. They reported guided. Stock gapped up another 5 or 6%, gave most of it back yesterday. But here it is again today, making up it's up nearly 5%. So when you see this sort of price action in some of these names, okay, I'm just curious, how is that <clears throat> making you feel about tech? And then take us into the NASDAQ 100, because I know you got a lot of data there. I'm just curious. These two names are really interesting, though, in the last two trading sessions. Right. So NVIDIA, starting with that one, that one's back to its high of about 10 days ago, right? So it had the initial gap up, a big one, two days of follow through, and then dipped corrected of sorts. Now we've, uh, we're back to that spike high. We're literally right at that level. Um, all of which is to say that after the initial aggressive re-rating of the stock, news-related re-rating, heavy volume, up thrust and gap, the stock has not really made any forward progress, which makes sense. It's It belongs here, so to speak, meaning after you get re-rated that aggressively, you typically stay sort of stuck in a range. And I, I think that's what you'll see here, that this will continue to be sort of 400, 420, 390 and grind rather than actually have a lot of follow-through. Um, Oracle, Oracle, um, oh, you know, sorry, different. go ahead, Carter, because I yeah, was going to say no, quickly, just, before yeah, you Oracle. jump in, look at Oracle real quick. If you go back to it, stock is already, stock typically trades about 8 million shares a day. It's 123. It's traded twice that already, which means we're probably on pace to, you know, if we get some volume at the end of the day, three and a half, four times normal volume and this type of move. So that typically to me means, uh, Carter, and I'm curious as to your thoughts, sort of exhaustion to the upside. Um, and I think you probably have a similar view. Right. So uh, you 40 million shares two days in a row here. Uh, that's what, uh, think about it. It takes a lot of, for every seller, there's a buyer and vice versa, but that is true. Um, and yesterday it closed very poorly on the low and now it's sort of recouping the intraday fade. Uh, but the stock again, after sort of the initial one, two-day gap is, and I think you'll see the same thing, like NVIDIA, you'll start to get pinned here. You'll have a lot of volatility, um, uh, but no forward progress. So intraday swings, but you'll stick at the 120 plus minus level, would be my guess. Um, but yeah, let's look at the cues. Uh, so this is, um, if we have some charts, and uh, this is the QQQ. And it has the smoothie mechanism, right? The 150-day moving average. Now, how far above that moving average are we? Well, take a look at the percentage. And as of today, it's up another full point. So we're 20.6% uh, above. Now, you can see there that that's not the highest. Back in 2020, right, you'll see it was 30% above. But if you look at a longer-term chart, and this is, this is uh, going back to the financial crisis low, look at the next iteration, this is with, and you can't read those, but we have a table, of course. Look at the next iteration. Now I've taken price away and you just see it. So what exactly are we talking about now? Take a look at this table. So this is 
every intermediate peak from which a sell-off occurred and that the percent that the QQQ was trading above its 150-day moving average at the time, the peak before the sell-off. And so right now on the bottom, the June, uh, the current reading is 20.6. And that makes it, yes, basically uh, you can see the 30% above, which was COVID spike. And then you see the other two that were even close, which is coming off the 09 low. And the question is, one could say, okay, great, but it's only 20%. What if it goes to 24? You're going to be watching this thing go higher. But the point is, this is where, and this is what the point of the table is, this is where a normal, let's go with the words, dip, sell-off, correction, decline. This is where you get that. Mm -hmm. And if you were to simply go with the median and mean, take a look, it's somewhere between 10 and 12%. Does it have to fit this perfectly? Of course not. But in line with what you were implying, Dan, just when we were looking at the chart of the market, a dip like that would be uh, something to take advantage of. Whereas if you're not waiting for that, yes, you have the risk of missing it. But if you're not anticipating any of that, not trimming or writing calls or taking some measures, then you have the risk of enduring it. Either way, 10, 12%, and they typically last, you'll see there, 20 to 30 sessions, a month to a month and a half. This is, we should, I don't know if we could somehow embed this in show notes. I don't even know what that means, but I'll say it because I think people need to sort of look at this and spend a few minutes looking at each line and trying to come to the realization that we probably are a bit extended here. And I mean, it's not us speculating here. I mean, this work speaks for yeah. itself. And by the way, Danny Moses is watching and he sent me an article about tulip mania. So it's interesting that you know, Carter finds himself out there and at maybe at the peak of what appears to be sort of this AI mania. So, but I think, Dan, that chart to me yeah. sums the entire thing up. I mean, at some point you're going to get mean reversion, but you don't need to hear me say it. You can actually see it from this graph. That's right. All right. Let's do a little speed round. We have a few minutes, Carter. We really appreciate you taking time of your late afternoon over there in Amsterdam. What are you, seven hours ahead of us? Um, yeah, so it's, uh, exactly. Uh, six. So dinner yeah. time coming up. All right. So just beware a dinner. Just like make sure if they're putting something that looks like um, fungi space, on any of your space cake or anything space like, cake dessert that like oregano that they might yeah. dash on your exactly. fish. Just be careful. Okay, buddy, be because careful. we need you back here in one piece. All right. Let's do a bit of a speed round here, okay? I, I just pulled up a bunch of big movers on the day here. I want to pull up this one-year chart of UNH, and I think this is kind of really interesting here because, you know, this is a big Dow component, um, and it just gapped to uh, this morning, a big 52-week low. And if you look at the five-year, you look at how beautiful that uptrend, and I know that you are a huge proponent of this and some of its peers um, for a couple of years on the way up. You thought it was defensive. You thought it was this. Now here we are, and it really is breaking down in a meaningfully way. The one year shows it just on a one year basis, and then you see just the grind that it has at this 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 uptrend here. Thoughts on a name like this? The 150 days sloping mm -hmm. lower here. It's back at that uptrend. Uh, thoughts here? Yeah. Well, if bearish to bullish reversals exist, losers that start to cure and heal and turn. If you look at that five year chart of the UNH bullish to bearish reversals, a great winner that reverses. The other thing that, of course, is exceedingly important and interesting is why did it stop at 455? Because those are very precise intermediate lows. That's not a PE reason it stopped there. That's a price of sales, enterprise value, EBITDA. It stopped because that's a key level. And now the fight is on. The stock had a news-related drop and gap, Humana 2, 
um, and others in the group. But now you'll see a lot of backing and filling. It's the reciprocal of an NVIDIA, right? It's been re-rated to, let's say, in quotes, where it belongs. And now uh, buyers and sellers will match off evenly uh, in principle for weeks. I don't know if this is a 7% move because I don't have it up in front of me, but I'll say this. This is a $450 billion company. It's probably one of the biggest 30 companies in the world. I don't know exactly, but it's not insignificant. And when stocks like companies like this move to this magnitude, it's eye-catching without question. So we're cherry-picking to a point, but it's worth bringing up. Let's take a look at Target, Dan, because I think that's interesting as well. It seems as though we're bouncing a bit here. That's great. But, you know, we're talking also about a stock that made a multi-year low. So, you know, activists getting involved. I get it. You know, the this would the the move in target lower was long before this whole woke or go broke thing that people were talking about. Target's problems seem to be somewhat target specific, but they're also one of the biggest retailers on the planet. So you can't discount this, Dan. Yeah, no doubt. And Carter, you know, the way this thing just kind of fell out of bed and the relative underperformance to Walmart, um, it, it, you know, was kind of curious to us. And, and again, there seemed to be other things than just inventories or earnings or this and that, whatever. Um, but to have a sort of move like this off of a multi-year low, it's been, you know, trying to kind of put a bottom in the last couple of trading days and have this sort of 5% reaction. Thoughts here, because again, if you just look at the chart that we have up there, you know, that 140 level seems to be, it's going to be some pretty massive resistance. I'm just curious what, what you see in the chart here. Sure. So the the uh, the difference or the opposite, equal and opposite moment of a breakout in Oracle is a breakdown, right? Where you have well-defined tops at a common level and a stock exceeds those tops. This is the reciprocal. Well-defined lows at a common level and the stock breaks those lows. And then if and as you get a snapback such as this, you you get to a level where you reshorted if you uh, shorted it and covered or shorted initially for the first time. Um, this is how many stocks, you can just answer the question yourself, how many stocks after a six-month rally in global equities are plumbing new 52-week lows in the last 48 hours? Not yeah. a lot. Uh, this is bad. All right. So we, we've talked a lot about um, a lot of strategists, you know, highlighting the breath is getting better. Right. So we had mm -hmm. all of this, this focus on the concentration of the tar largest 10 names. So here's a name, Intel. It's been left for dead. It's cheap to its peers, misexecuted, lost share to everybody in their you know spaces and whatever. Guy, talk to me a little bit about this. It probably wouldn't have been hard in this sort of <laughs> mania to attach some sort of narrative how, you know, they're going to catch up in, in this sort of GPU that's going to find himself into these supercomputers that's going to be used for AI, that sort of thing. Um, you know, held that 150, I mean, gap below it, okay? Mm -hmm. Like that was a big gap after earnings, but then it's gotten back on its horse. You see that kind of breakdown level um, from last fall, you know what I mean? In around the levels it is right now. Curious what your take is, just from a fundamental standpoint, like this is a bit of a chase. Like people are kind of full up in some of the other names here and they're like, what else that's cheap could play catch up? Company's a disaster. I think we know that, and I'm choosing that word. Their data center has been just uh, an unmitigated problem now for the last four or five quarters. They've been obviously losing share to the likes of AMD and some of these other big chip companies. We know all that. They get lost. They sort of got left behind. There are two reasons to own Intel, in, in my opinion. One, you think somehow it's going to be a homeland security play. Something's going to brew up China, Taiwan, U.S. That whole thing is going to continue this sort of rhetoric and it's going to get amped up and Intel will win to that. And two, you can actually make a case for Intel, despite the fact that it's challenged on valuation. 
Those are the two reasons. And then if they start to chase, chase begets chase, as Danny Moses says. But, you know, I look at it here and say, okay, you want to play in this arena? Those are the reasons why, Dan. Yeah, Carter, what do you see? I mean, again, that resistance is not much other than it's taking no. us back to September where, you know, when it broke down from mm-hmm. that that level, it went down precipitously. It spent a lot of time banging along the bottom. That 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 kind of 25 level was really good support. We could have drawn a support line there. But here it is. It's it's kind of breaking out above that kind of seven, eight-month range. But that September, is that is that even resistance where it is right now? Not really. As you said, it's not a lot. You just add up the number of shares traded in each day and you can figure out that versus average daily volume. So it is uh, overhead supply, but not a lot. I think what's important, of course, is we have all the elements of a bearish to bullish reversal, right? A, A really beaten up stock that basically is holding its October low over and over and over. It finds 25. And now not only did it as it held that, it's moved above it. And it's a strength enough to allow the smoothing mechanism of the 150 moving average to turn and flatten and now is rising. Uh, my hunch is to, if one has put it this way, if one has been properly short for a long time, because if one has been long, this stock for a long time, probably it's get out of the business, right? That's a problem. If one has been properly short, is it time to start reevaluating that to say, hey, listen, maybe we, maybe we get out of the short or cut the short way back? Yes. I myself would flatten out, not not be short at all, and maybe even small speculative longs. We're in the window. It's coming up. So the next hour could be a lot of fun. Carter, again, on a business trip, but continues to join us doing yeoman's work. I don't know how to spell it, and I don't know what it means, but he's doing it regardless. So enjoy your dinner tonight, Carter Braxton Worth of Thanks, Worth guys. Charting. If you don't subscribe, I mean, I don't even know if you're trading. Are you, what are they, what's that old saying, Dan? Do you even lift? Do you even trade? Anyway, I want to thank, obviously, FactSet Financial Data and Analytics, powered by tomorrow. Speaking of tomorrow, uh, EY from SoFi, Butters. I mean, we got the whole thing going on. So good luck the rest of the day, folks. We will absolutely see you tomorrow. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Carter. All right.